0: What is up, New York Rangers fans, and hello from St. Louis. This is episode 63 of the new Ice City podcast, and I'm your host, Vincent Mercogliano of the USA Today Network. Got in early morning flight to St. Louis, Missouri this morning, coming from Minnesota, ran around, checked into the hotel, got ready, went to practice, just got back from practice, and now I'm on the microphone talking to you guys. Hectic week, but a fun week for sure, getting ready to hopefully get some work done in the next couple hours and then hit the town a little bit. It's actually our friend from the New York Post, Molly Walker's birthday tomorrow, so we're gonna go out get a little barbecue with a few people tonight, probably have a couple drinks, enjoy the city, and then the Rangers will be playing the blues. By the time you guys are listening to this, it will be today, but for us it's tomorrow right now on Thursday night before heading to the final leg of this Midwest trip in dallas over the weekend so we're halfway through and this is actually going to be a mailbag episode a trade deadline mailbag episode because as you might imagine many of your questions this week were dedicated to the trade deadline although we'll touch on some other topics as well but i've been traveling so much i think it's four flights in a span of six days this week And had so much going on that it was going to be difficult, I felt, to to try to time things up with the guests. So I decided to make this a mailbag episode because I figured there was going to be a lot of stuff that you guys wanted to talk about anyway. So we're going to dive into those questions soon. Let's quickly, though, just kind of recap and go over what's happened so far on this trip. The Rangers are one and one. They had actually won three in a row since the last time I I spoke to you guys, I believe. They played St. Louis at home last week. Won that game 5-3. Nice comeback victory for them when it looked dim after a second period in which they they gave up three goals in a matter of, I forget exactly how much time, but it was a very short amount of time. But they came back, had a really good third period, won that game. They beat the Devils at home on Friday night. Not their best game, I didn't think. I thought they gave up a lot. And, And that's been a little bit of a troubling trend that we're going to discuss a little bit, is that the defense, I've been seeing more and more breakdowns recently, But they did come away with a win against the Devils. The offense actually had it going that night for them and and helped out Igor, although Igor was excellent, as he has been. I mean, he's been the key to pretty much every one of these wins recently. But then they go on this trip. They go to Winnipeg, where they played on Sunday night, and again that game, you look at it, and I think the Rangers actually played better than the stats might indicate. They allowed 45 shots on goal. Igor made 44 saves, so another outstanding game from him, but quite honestly, it didn't feel to me like he was standing on his head, even as much as he was in the Devils game, when I think he only saw 32 or 33 shots, so Shots, and Gerard Glant says this all the time, shots aren't always indicative of how well or how poorly you play defensively. It's definitely something that you should look at. It's definitely something that I pay attention to. But in contrast, you can look at Winnipeg, where the Rangers gave up 45 shots, only allowed one goal, come away with a 4-1 to win. And then you can look at Minnesota, where they played on Tuesday night, they allowed 28 shots on goal, a much smaller number than they did in Winnipeg. Now, granted, the goalie thing, we're gonna talk about that, but they gave up five goals against the Wild, and here's the difference. You could say, okay, 45 shots versus 28, seems like they played a better defensive game in Minnesota. I would argue that they didn't, and here's, I think, a much more telling stat. If you look at the five-on-five numbers, in Winnipeg, they only allowed seven high-danger scoring chances. And then against Minnesota, they allowed 18. So that tells you a lot about what you need to know. It, again, it feels to me like there have been too many defensive breakdowns on this trip. You could look at the, the power play goal that the Wild scored. The Rangers had just tied it with a shorthanded goal from Mika Zabanajad, who <laughs> made one of the coolest plays we've seen in the last week when he basically picked Matt Zuccarello's pocket and then scored the shorthanded goal of the 10th shorthanded goal of his career and that seemed like it was going to give the rangers momentum they had tied, they had gone down two to nothing they came back to tie it 2 two we've seen them do those kind of things so many times this season to me i'm sitting there thinking okay here comes another comeback but moments later the wild get back on the power play that that they had started before the shorthanded goal and the defense just just basically got caught all on one side of the ice left Kevin Fiala wide open on the other side of the ice for a pretty easy goal on the power play for the Wild. It wasn't a great defensive play, no doubt about it. But the PK, I think, you know, you're going to give up PK goals sometimes. And generally speaking, the Rangers PK has been really good this year. But what bothered me even more than that was later on in the period, not once, but twice, the Rangers let a player from the Wild get behind them. Easy breakaway goal. Now, you could argue whether Georgiev should have had saves in either of those situations, but breakaways are not, you know, th- those aren't the kind of things you want to give up. Breakaways are usually going to be a pretty good opportunity for the other team to score. And Minnesota cashed in on two of them in that situation, and they end up winning that game by a score of 5-2. to Really poorly played game, I think, from the Rangers Again, to me, you look at the defensive play and you're wondering why these lapses that had been there earlier in the season, and then they kind of cleaned up for a while. Why they seem to be creeping back up recently? Gerard Gallant, after the game, said that he thought the Wild were the hungrier team, and not only did he take issue with the scoring chances that the Rangers were giving up, but but he talked a lot about feeling like the Rangers weren't playing enough of a north-south game, not getting to the net enough, and I think. You can see some of that, the evidence of that, I should say, when you look at the power play numbers for the Rangers recently. Since the All Star break, the Rangers have not been getting nearly as many power play opportunities as they were prior to the All Star break. We know how good their power play has been this year. Depending on which day you look, it's either top three or top five in the league. Either way, pretty darn good. But they haven't been able to get that unit out there enough recently. They didn't get one single power play in Minnesota on Tuesday night. And I don't think that was necessarily the difference in a game that they lost by three goals, but it definitely could be the difference in a lot of games that you, when you look at in the last couple weeks, especially some of these games where they've lost. So I, th- I believe I looked at the number earlier. In the last 10 games since the All Star break, they've only generated 18 power plays. So that's less than two per game. And again, there were none on Tuesday night. So. Gallant and some of the players have said that they feel that if they, they could do more of those things, like getting to the net, getting to the areas where you might force a defender to trip you or pull you down or commit some kind of penalty, that that, that would help them get that power play unit back on the ice. And that's something that I think needs to be a focus moving forward. You, you could blame it on the refs, I guess, in, in some instances, but I, I think for the Rangers, with the lack of depth that we've talked about in their lineup right now, with the way that their bottom six is structured with very little offensive firepower there. Scoring goals at five on five has been a struggle. We know that. So they need to get on the power play more. And I think that that would obviously help their chances of scoring. And so when you combine that with these defensive breakdowns, I think there's been a few signs recently, even though you know we're nitpicking here because this team is still in such great position. They've won three out of their last four. But I, I do think that these are things that the team is actively talking about and trying to work on. And it's definitely something that we've heard Gallant talk about the last couple of days. So all that being said, the big topic, the big thing that I want to address before we get into your, tw- into your Twitter questions is Alexander Georgiev. Another bad game from him in Minnesota on Tuesday. His save percentage has plummeted to 830. Or no, I'm sorry, 830. That would be really bad. <laughs> 893, I should say. I don't want to sell him short there. And they've lost the last five games that he's started. So that is such a stark contrast with Igor because you look at Shesterkin and the guy has just been outrageous. He's threatening to break the record for single season save percentage right now. He's up to 942. The record, I believe, is 944. So he's right there, rarefied air, right there among the best goalies of all time as far as a single season goes. So his outstanding season continues. People are talking more and more about him as a heart trophy candidate. We actually spoke to a few people on the Rangers about that in the past few days. And, and as you might imagine, a lot of them are advocating for him. So you've got this otherworldly goalie right now. And the Rangers have been riding him, understandably so, because he's so good and he gives them obviously the best chance to win. But what that has sort of created as something that you can definitely live with because of how infrequently he plays, but. It has led to this situation where Georgiev, whether it's mental, whether it's physical, probably a combination of both, he is struggling. And we've seen this repeatedly now with him since Igor has emerged that he really seems not to respond well to such infrequent playing time. The more we see, the more I think you have to draw the conclusion that he is just not built to be a backup goalie. Now, is he a high-end starting caliber goalie? Probably not that either. But we have seen him succeed at times in his Rangers career when he is getting the chance to get on a roll and build some rhythm and, and, and play much more often than he's playing right now. You could just go back to December when Igor got hurt with that lower body injury. Georgiev got seven appearances in December, and posted a 9.35 save percentage. So when he got a chance to get on a roll, he played pretty well, and he definitely kept the Rangers in it and gave them a good chance to win on most of those nights. We also saw it earlier in his career. Remember, we're only two seasons removed from the 1920 season when he led the Rangers in starts, and they felt like in a lot of situations was their best option. Now, obviously, Igor came up in the second half of that season. We all saw his potential right off the bat, and he's taken the job and run with it. This is his team. And, and there's no doubt about that moving forward. So you've got this situation that is increasingly uncomfortable and ultimately, without a doubt, is going to have to result in Georgiev going somewhere else. Now, is that going to be at the trade deadline or is that going to be at the summer? I don't know. It's, it's impossible to predict. The thing working against him right now is... His play has been so poor that what are the Rangers really going to get for him if they trade him right now? But at the same time, what are they going to get for him in the summer is also a valid question. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be better. Now, are they going to have to just take their medicine and accept shipping him somewhere for a late-round pick? That's probably yes. Maybe they can find a way to throw him into another deal to sweeten the deal a little bit for a team that might want to take a chance on a goalie. And people have said to me in the last few days, you know, who would want him given how poorly he's played? But you got to understand that these teams are going to do their homework. And when we talk about his numbers in December when he had a chance to start while well, Igor was hurt, when you talk about some of the work that he's done in the past, teams have obviously seen the evidence that, hey, when you give this guy a chance to play a couple times a week at least, he, he can hold his own. And a lot of teams out there have goalie issues, and I don't think necessarily that somebody would bring him in and look at him as the absolute number one starter hands down. But there could be teams, whether it's an Edmonton or you know maybe a team that's out of the playoffs that's looking at him more as a future investment, like a Buffalo. There's a lot of teams out there that don't feel great about their goalie situation. And you could bring him in, take a chance on him, And see that if you give him a chance to play, maybe he can get on a roll because we've seen him do it in the past. So I don't think it's to the point where nobody would be interested in him. I also think, though, that teams are looking at the situation and saying, we're not going to offer very much for him right now. And they know that given the Rangers cap situation next year, they're going to need to go with a cheaper backup. Now, I've written about this several times. I actually wrote another story on Monday that sort of broke down some of the cap nuances that the Rangers are needing to consider at this trade deadline particularly what's going to happen with Ryan Strom and that will in many respects dictate are they going to have to lean towards rentals at this trade deadline knowing that they're going to have a really tight cap situation next year or if if they start to lose confidence in their ability to re-sign Strom well then, okay, now you have a little bit more cap space to play with if you're going to go out and acquire a player who's under contract beyond this season. So that's a huge variable right now that I think people need to make sure they're thinking about when you're coming up with all your hypothetical trade ideas. But with that being said, a sort of more minor concern is the goal is the backup goalie thing. And Georgiev at nearly $2.5 million a season is just, they, they can't pay a backup goalie $2.5 million a season next year given the other guys that they have to pay and given how limited they're going to be as far as cap space goes. They're going to need a goalie who's in that $1 million or less kind of range as the backup to Igor and, and then you're going to have to keep your fingers crossed that Igor stays healthy. So I don't think that it would hurt the Rangers tremendously to trade Georgiev now given what we've seen. By the time the trade deadline comes around, they're only going to have about 20 games left in the regular season. You could call Keith Kincaid up and and use him for a handful of starts down the stretch, and and your playoff spot is pretty much locked up anyway. I've written this as well a few times recently that I think the Rangers need to prioritize keeping Igor fresh and healthy down the stretch. The last thing you need is some injury to crop up a couple weeks before the playoffs. So. I don't think that they should run Igor into the ground. I know people get upset every time they use Georgia for a game, but you need to do it. It's a smart thing to do. You can even make an argument that Igor starting 8 out of 10 games coming out of the All-Star break was a little bit too much. Because, again, even if the Rangers lost a few games in a row, look at the standings right now. They would have to totally collapse to fall out of the playoff race. So even though they want to collect as many points as they can, And absolutely, Igor should start the majority of games. You do, I think, have to be careful and you do have to make sure that you get your backup in there once a week, once every 10 days, whatever it is, because the last thing you need is an Igor injury when you feel like he's playing the best hockey in the world and and he's going to be your number one X factor going into the playoffs. So there's a lot of factors here. Ultimately, it's just not a good situation and you can tell that everybody on the team kind of kind of feels for him a little bit, feels his frustration. Galant said it yesterday. I, I will say this too, last thing on Georgiev, and I tweeted this out on Tuesday night. The situation that we're in right now, many of you know, I've talked about it on the show before, is the locker rooms aren't open. So whereas in the past, after a game, you would go into the locker room and any player you wanted to ask questions, you would have the freedom and ability to just go up to them and ask questions. We're still in this COVID world, hopefully coming out of it and very hopefully going to have locker room access back next season. We're back talking to the players in person, which is great, but it's still a situation where we go into a press conference room. They bring the guy into the room and he stands at the podium and takes questions. So these guys don't necessarily have to answer questions if they don't want to. The Rangers after a game are usually only going to bring out two or three players. The rest of them stay in the locker room and don't have to answer any questions. So if Georgiev wanted to hide, didn't want to answer questions, I guarantee you he wouldn't have come out there. They would have let him stay in that locker room, and that would have been the end of it. So I do, and this is, again, I know probably a minor thing for, for some of you. You probably don't care about accountability. You know, well, I, I would hope you would care about accountability because that's really, to me, what's important and what it shows. It, it goes back to a guy like Henrik Lundqvist, who Georgiev watched early in his career, and, and Hank would be at his locker taking questions after every game, whether it was a win, whether it was a loss, whether he played well or whether he didn't. And to be quite honest with you guys, one of my fears about this current situation with no locker room access is that especially some of the young players who are coming into the league, it's setting this precedent where they don't necessarily have to be accountable. If there's questions that they don't want to answer or if they're not playing well or if the team is concerned that anything controversial might come up, the easiest thing for them to do is just stay in the locker room and not have to answer questions. So I appreciated Georgiev coming out and facing the music and and sitting there and taking all the questions and answering the hard questions. And, you know, you could see that he's frustrated, you could see that he's not happy, but I I thought he said a lot of the right things. And again, it wouldn't have surprised me at all if he stayed in that locker room just because I knew that he did not have to come out. So it says something to me a little bit about his character that he wanted to come out and show some accountability there. And I would I would hope as fans, you guys appreciate that as well. Just a little side note, kind of a behind-the-scenes thing, but it, it did stick out to me, and that's why I tweeted that out on Tuesday night. But as far as the team's confidence in him right now, obviously it can't be very high, and that's why I think you're going to see Igor you know, still play – quite a few games now down the stretch, but I also think that if Georgiev is here beyond the trade deadline, you still got to throw him out there. You still got to keep trying to to see what you can get out of him, and then you know that ultimately, whether it's this trade deadline or the summer, that he's probably not going to be on the team anymore. I think everybody pretty much understands that at this point. All right, that will do it for this opening segment. We're gonna go to a quick transition here, and then we'll get to your mailbag questions. Okay, folks. Last I looked, there was almost fifty questions in there, so not gonna be able to get to all of them. But I'm gonna do what I did last time we had a mailbag episode, where I didn't really look at any of them ahead of time. I'm just gonna dive in and see what jumps out to me, what pops into my head. It's going to get interesting. So here we go. One from levy 21 who said, thoughts on this for a new third line. He executes three trades here. It looks like using cap friendly. One of them is for Rickard Raquel from the Ducks. One is for Arturi Lekanen from the Canadiens. And one is for Andrew Kopp from the Winnipeg Jets. I can tell you all three of those are players that I think the Rangers have legitimate interest in. I think all three would be probably third line kind of players on this team, but definite upgrades for the Rangers' third line. I wrote about this last week. I, I'm sure, I hope at least some of you saw it, that when you look at the Rangers as currently constructed, assuming Capo Kako is able to return at some point, and I asked Gerard Gallant about that few days ago, maybe close to a week ago now at this point, about how Kako is doing with his healing. And listen, the Rangers are calling it an upper body injury. I know multiple people now have have said to me, and and I've heard it from I don't know how many people, to be honest with you at this point, that they've seen him with some kind of a brace or a soft cast or something along those lines. It looks to be kind of on his wrist. So it looks like he, he had something going on with either the wrist or the hand or something like that. But Gallant said last week that he is still pretty far away from being ready to rejoin the team and start practicing again. He said he was hopeful that maybe around the trade deadline, but it could be later than that. So realistically, I don't think you're going to see Kako back in in the lineup until April. It does not sound like he's in jeopardy of missing the entire rest of the regular season which you got to keep your fingers crossed about and and is sort of good news, but you want to give him at least, you would hope, 10-ish games to kind of get his rhythm back and get back in the flow of things. But if you can get Kako back and you can put him on that line with Panarin and Strom, then I think the real glaring issue is the third line. You You can live with that top six considering how well Alexi Lafreniere has played with Savannah, Jad, and Kreider. And you've seen Kako do it with Strom and Panera. Now, if you can get an upgrade and you could push either Lafreniere or Kako down to the third line, obviously that would be great. But I think you could very easily see the Rangers focusing on on fixing that third line, giving that third line some more scoring punch, and then feeling better about the overall depth of their lineup. And Raquel, Lekkinen and Kopp are all guys who I think would be pretty obvious upgrades over the guys that the Rangers are using on the third line right now. Some of the guys that Max has going in these trades are Vitaly Kratsov, Matthew Robertson, fourth round pick, Tarmo Reuninen, and a couple picks to the Canadians for Lekinen. I don't think that would be enough to get it done. And then he has Philip Hedel and a second round pick going to the Jets for Cop. That's actually a lot to give up. But yeah, I, I mean, most of those guys are definitely guys that I think the Rangers are, are very willing to trade. Heedle is an interesting one. I, I, I've told you guys before that I think they're willing to listen on trade offers for him. But I think the main thing right now at this year's deadline is going to be adding, not subtracting. So the only way I think that they would trade Heedle now is if they thought that it was bringing them back a clear upgrade for a third line center. Otherwise, I think you're probably going to hear more chatter about Hedel in the offseason. I think very much the Rangers would like to keep the main guys that they have in their NHL lineup in place now and just add to that. That That is absolutely, especially given all the cap space that they have for the remainder of this season, they want to add right now. And then in the offseason is when I think, especially a guy like Hedel, you know, even though he's only, I think, going to make $2.3 million next year with as tight as their cap situation is going to be. If you could find a way to shave that money off and and get a player who you think helps you, that could be something that I could easily see them looking into. So, I think you're you know, you're thinking about the right guys here. I don't know if I see the Rangers pulling off three trades. I think two is a reasonable number to target. And then the other thing that I would caution, especially when you're talking about the Ducks and the Jets right now is everybody should be paying attention to the Western Conference playoff standings because as i've had sources telling me for months and i've told you guys i think for months the rangers this whole time have sort of been testing the waters and with a lot of different teams and waiting to see when some of these teams decide okay we're out of the playoff race it's time for us to sell well a team like the Ducks is right there in the Western Conference playoff picture. The Jets are a little further behind, but even they've made up a little bit of ground recently. You look at a team like the Vancouver Canucks, who the Rangers have been rumored to have interest in a variety of different players from the Canucks, especially JT Miller. Well, the Canucks have have had a pretty good streak recently and clawed their way right back into the race. The Dallas Stars are another team that we've talked about with Joe Pawlowski. I think they're very much in the race right now. They're in, I think, the eighth spot in the playoffs. So you're going to need some of those teams to, to probably lose a little bit more in the next week or so because if they're a point or two out of a playoff spot, how do you turn around and justify to your fan base selling off players when you're actively in the race? We're going to talk about a couple teams that have maybe fallen out, but there's still 11 or 12 teams in the Western Conference that have a viable path to to competing for a playoff spot. I think there's 12 teams that have 60 points or more. And so you mentioned a guy like Raquel. I think the Rangers are very interested in him, but the Ducks are like a point or two out of a playoff spot right now. So are the Ducks definitely selling? That is to be determined, and that is something that I think the Rangers have been patiently waiting to see how it plays out, and it's probably going to come down to the wire for a lot of those teams that are right on the fringe. All right, next question comes from Dan Scaturo, who wrote, Do you see 72, Philip playing with more giddy-up in his step? I know it hasn't fully translated to the scoring sheet, but boy, he was hard on the puck last night talking about the Minnesota game. I, I did think that Hedel had some moments in the Minnesota game where he looked like he, he was being pretty assertive. I think that you've seen games recently where he's done that. A couple come to mind in particular, but the inconsistency is still a thing. It still is not every night. It still is not every shift. And Gerard Gallant has really stressed the stuff recently with him about wanting to see him play a better two-way game. The offensive production isn't there, and if the coach doesn't trust you defensively, well, that is why you've seen him sort of on the fringe and get scratched a couple times and still not getting a whole lot of ice time. So uh, I know a lot of people, we may have talked about this last week with the whole play like Mika thing, where Gallant came out and said that the reason he had scratched Hedl was because he wants to see him play more like Mika Zibanejad. He clarified that a little bit a few days ago and really stressed that it's about the two-way game. It's about seeing him become more committed defensively. Galant is raving right now about the con- the season that Mika is having and how impressed he is with him as a defensive player and a penalty killer on top of all the all the stuff that he obviously brings offensively. So, Galant is, is definitely praising Mika and even said that he thinks Mika should get some award consideration. I don't know if he means Hart or Selke or what, but Mika is having a great season, definitely one of the star players on the team, as you all know. And I, I don't think it should be taken as an affront to Hedl. I, I think that was just Galant's way of saying, I, I want you to do more of this stuff. I want you to be more of a hardworking player in the defensive zone. And Hedl, when we asked him about it, I thought he gave a pretty good answer where he said, listen, I watch Mika every day. I try to take little things from him. He's one of the best players in the league. I love having him on my team, to use it as, as an example. But on the, at, on the same token, I'm my own player, I have to do what's best for me, and, and I think, you know, him and I are different in certain ways, and and, and I, I thought it was a good answer, I thought he, he kind of towed the line of saying the right things, obviously understanding where Gallant was coming from, and understanding that Mika is, is at this point in his career, a much better player than him but I also thought that he stood up for himself a little bit too and showed a little competitive fire in that sense. And Mika, when we asked him about it was kind of said the same thing. He was like, I think everybody needs to do what they're best at. And I don't necessarily think that everybody should just be trying to emulate my game. So I, I thought everybody kind of had valid points and, and pretty, pretty good comments on that one. But yeah, he it's still, to me, it's not frequent enough. It's not every shift. And, and when you see a guy like Mika play, that's what you see. You see every shift. Now, Heedle will likely never be as good as Mika, but I think there's a lot of tools there that, that you could see him eventually solidifying himself as a legitimate middle six center because right now he is obviously their third line center, but it's shaky. So you still want to see a little more consistency out of him. And he has those moments that you talk about, Dan, where you look, you look at him and you say, wow, he looks like he's really playing fast, but we got to see that more frequently for I think Gallant to fully trust him and for the Rangers to decide that this is a guy who we're not going to entertain trade offers on. We want to keep. Right now, I think there's still a lot of question marks surrounding that. All right. M Festa 627 wants to know, do you have a dark horse candidate for a player who hasn't been talked about in trades that the Rangers could move? <laughs> well, You know, if you've looked at some of the stuff I've written, and I'm sure you've seen rumors flying all over, whether it's other writers, bloggers, internet stuff, whatever, the Rangers have been tied to a lot of different people. And that's because the truth is the Rangers have called on a lot of different people. And again, getting back to that playoff race, I think that they want to see, they want teams to know that when you decide it's time to sell, make sure you come to us because we want to talk about this guy or that guy. So, I don't know if there's a dark horse candidate that we haven't talked about, but I feel like I've written about anywhere from a dozen to 20 players. And I I really do believe that the Rangers have made calls on that number, if not more. So as I've said before, lots of irons in the fire and we're still roughly 10 days or so away from knowing exactly which way it's going to go. So (laughs) it's going to, we're going to have one more episode like this where we're speculating because I don't think you're going to see trades until the final hour, but who knows. Maybe something happens between you know now and then over the weekend, whenever it may be. We'll see. All right, let's go to another question here. Have you gotten a haircut yet? No. <laughs> some of you guys might have seen when I tweeted earlier about that lady at the hotel <laughs> who just asked me, "Oh, it seems like you haven't gotten a haircut in a while." I was like, "Well, I've never met you before. You, you know, how do you know that I didn't have hair down to my waist a week ago and just got a haircut?" But obviously, it's it's getting some attention, but. I think I've mentioned to you guys about this before, but at the end of the season, I plan on taking the whole thing off and donating it, which I've done before in the past, but too busy right now to think about haircuts. Got to get through the trade deadline first. This is an interesting one. Uh, Rusty Shackleford wrote this one, and I've had a few people ask me about this, and I've, I've asked around about this as well. He wrote, Trade Idea. We get Patrick Kane and reunite him with Panarin. So... The Patrick Kane thing to me is somewhat interesting, or Jonathan Taze for that matter, because if you look at the Chicago Blackhawks, they are obviously a bad team, obviously need to think about tearing the whole thing down and completely rebuilding. And Kane and Taze are guys that while they're older and while they're not quite what they used to be, they're still pretty darn good players and they obviously have a championship pedigree. So I think that either one of those guys would be great fits for the Rangers. Kane would solve their right wing depth issues. He's had success with Panarin in the past. I think you could slot him in right in on Panarin's line or anywhere in the top six. And all of a sudden, that top six is, is a real powerhouse. And, and Taze as a center would obviously help the Rangers down the middle. That would make their top nine centers really, really strong looking with him, Stroman, Zibanejad. The problem with either one of those guys is they're under contract, both of them, for next season at $10.5 million. So would the Blackhawks entertain the idea of retaining salary? I've seen rumors out there that they would. I'm always hesitant on the retaining salary thing because when I talk to people, a lot of teams seem to be very, very against it for understandable reasons, especially given the flat cap and how tight everybody is in this new salary cap era. So... I don't know for sure that the Blackhawks would be open to retaining salary, but if you could get them to take, let's say, 50% of salary back, and you're probably going to have to give up a lot, first-round picks, top prospects, all that kind of stuff. But if you can get them to eat some of that salary, if that's a possibility, then I think either one of those guys would become pretty intriguing options because they're only here for the rest of this season and next season. So it's not like you're going to have them at the really back end of a long contract and they're really super old by the end of it, it's only for a year and a half that you're acquiring them for. And again, either one of those guys I think would really bolster the lineup and would really give you some, some of that, you know, the Rangers went out and got guys like Gaudreau and Reeves because they felt like they had this championship pedigree. Well, you add guys that are multi-time champions like that. It's only going to give you a little more of that playoff feel to your lineup. So I think it's an interesting possibility. It's it's something I wouldn't rule out, but it would absolutely have to come with salary retained. There's no way the Rangers could swing it if it didn't have that stipulation. All right, let's go down the list a little bit more here. Tim wrote, the boys seem gassed, namely Fox, Lindgren, Laffey. Do you get the sense Gallant is going to manage minutes down the stretch or are they going to push for first? I mean, Gallant has not been holding back on minutes recently. The top four defensemen have been playing a lot. The top six forwards have been playing a lot. Igor Shesterkin has been playing a lot. I get it. The team depth right now is questionable, and the bottom six you don't have a lot of faith in. The bottom pair, it's been okay, I think. you know Nemeth, I think, has been a little bit better since he came back from, from this most recent stint, and we found out all this news about him dealing with lingering COVID symptoms and all that. And I think Schneider has been pretty good for the most part, as far as a rookie is concerned. But at some point, I think that Gallant is going to need to back off a little bit. And and you don't want to make those guys go into the playoffs feeling like they're at the end of their rope. So I I do think it's something that that they should monitor. And I, I would think and hope that it's something that once we get down, let's say, into April that will become a little more of a conscious thing. Because, you know, once you get into April, the Rangers should, for all intents and purposes, pretty much have a playoff spot locked up. And, w- and once you get to that point, maybe you could take your foot off the gas a little bit. But on the same token, they're probably going to be integrating a new guy or two into the lineup. So you're going to want to give the, you know, the new lines time to build chemistry as well. But hopefully once you lengthen the lineup, you, you don't have to play the top six guys quite as much as you are right now. All right, let's keep scrolling here. Any chance we see changes to the D pairs? Probably not anytime in the immediate future. Kincaid, we talked about the goalie stuff at the beginning of the show. What's wrong with Fox Lindgren? Why are they making so many bad decisions lately? I do think that you've seen a couple shaky, I don't want to call it games, but shifts. I think you've seen Fox and Lindgren have a few moments where they got burned or you know they the Fox in particular to me hasn't been quite as dynamic as we're used to. He's still racking up assists. I I don't think he's had a huge point drop off recently, but at the beginning of the season you felt like every time the guy had the puck something special was going to happen. It hasn't quite felt like that recently. I I don't want to speculate. I don't know if anything has lingered since that injury that kept him out for a little bit of time when the Rangers were going into the break and decided not to play him in those last few games and then gave him a few weeks to rest. I, I don't know for sure if there's anything lingering from that, but I, I do think that he hasn't quite been his tip-top self. Maybe over time that will come back. And again, I think if you look at his numbers, he's still he's still getting plenty of assists. So I, I don't want to make it sound like he stinks recently because the guy's still one of the best defensemen in the world. But I, I do think it's fair to say that he hasn't looked quite as dynamic as he did earlier in the season. Early in the season, I thought he looked like the Norris Trophy favorite again. And right now, McCarr and Hedman seem to have kind of passed him a little bit in that conversation. Let's keep going to a next question. Big Lou popping in here. Lou wants to know, has Morgan Barron fallen behind not only Greg McCaig on the depth chart, but also Brodzinski and Gettinger? If that is the case, would the better move be to let Barron play in Hartford instead of sitting every game in the NHL? Lou, that I think that's a very fair question. It actually came up with Gallant again today. We've asked him about Barron I don't know how many times at this point. The last time I asked him about him, he put him in the lineup the next day. He was like, oh, well, you know, don't, don't jump to conclusions. You might see him in the lineup soon. He was in the lineup in the next game. We asked about him again today. I think there's a chance you'll see him in Thursday's lineup in St. Louis. It looks to me like the options for the scratch are either him or Gettinger. To answer your question, or at least the first part of your question, 100% right now it looks like Brodzinski has surpassed him. The, the lines for practice today, the top six has been what it's been for the last couple weeks. The, the one line that was together for the whole entirety of practice was Brodzinski playing center in between Goudreau, and Reeves. So that definitely looks like it's going to be a line for Thursday's game. And Bradzinski, Gallant really seems to be high on him recently. He's been the sure thing out of those AHL guys as far as who's sticking in the lineup, especially now that McKaig is not on this trip with them. And Bradzinski also has been the guy that Gallant has chosen to fill in that penalty kill spot that was vacated when Kevin Rooney got hurt. So Bradzinski is doing a lot of things for them right now, and I think you're going to see him stay in the lineup at least for the next few games until we see what's going on with McCaig. So that basically leaves you with, whether you want to call it third line, fourth line, today they had Gettinger, Barron, Heedle, and Gautier all working and rotating on that last line. It's probably going to be either Gettinger or Barron, who ends up being the scratch for Thursday. I think you could make a case for Gauthier being in the scratch, too. I don't really know what he's bringing to this lineup right now. Again, that goes back to the conversation about the third line needing to be completely revamped. Heedle, uh, I think, you know, you could make a case for him maybe staying on that line. And, and I'd be very curious to see how he performs if you upgrade the two winger spots and give him better options, maybe one of them could be Gaudreau. But you need to acquire at least one guy who could be more of a guy who drives play and brings some offense. So the other spots, whether it's Barron, Gettinger, or Gauthier, have just not been getting it done. But to your point about Baron, to me, it's I, I'm starting to think that maybe because he had such a good college career. And I think a lot of scouts I talked to and a lot of people who follow prospects closely, guys like Scott Wheeler, who you heard on the show last week, because of how well he performed at Cornell, everybody sort of moved him up on their prospect rankings. Everybody felt like this is a sixth round pick who has more upside and the Rangers might've gotten a, a steal here. But maybe internally, the Rangers don't view him quite as highly as... Some of us did because of what we saw from him in college, because they're using him right now similarly to the way that they use a guy like Gettinger or Brodzinski, where he's basically just a depth piece and they throw him in there for some games and he gets very limited ice time and he bounces in and out of the lineup and he's a scratch here or he plays here or he goes to the AHL. As far as development, you know, they made the case with Zach Jones, we're sending him to the AHL because we want him to get consistent playing time. So I asked Gallant, do you you feel the same way about Barron? Do you think he needs to get playing time? He said at the time, I think you're going to see him in there sooner than later. He got him in there for a few games. Now he's back out. Today we asked the question again, and he did say that he believes that there's some merit to him being with the NHL team, practicing with the NHL team, that that might be helping him in some ways. And, And this is interesting too. Gallant said when he plays, he has some shifts where you're like, wow, okay, that's the kind of stuff I want to see from him, but then he has other shifts the way Gallant said it was he looks like he's in awe a little bit. So that was a little bit of a sign. Now, Gallant, we know, does not criticize his own players. He protects them in in these media settings all the time, but I think that tells you that he feels like he hasn't seen enough consistency, and he sees him playing out there sometimes where... He's not forceful enough. He doesn't have enough purpose. He's not being aggressive enough. And for a guy like Barron to stick in the lineup, especially a guy with that kind of size, I think Galant wants him to play sort of a heavier, more physical, more aggressive game. We feel because he put up points in college, like there might be a little more offensive production in there, but that's not the role that the Rangers are gonna be asking him to play when he goes in there. It's gonna be a fourth line kind of a thing. I really feel like I personally would like to see him get more of a look, like to see him play for an extended stretch and get a little more ice time. And and right now, I don't see the merit in playing a Gettinger or a McKaig over him. But I think, especially in the case of McKaig and Brodzinski, it definitely looks like those guys have more Gallant's trust than Barron right now. So it's making me question everything with Barron because I felt like He was more of a legitimate prospect than a guy like Gettinger or Brodzinski, but the usage right now is telling you that maybe the Rangers aren't quite as high on him. I would not be shocked if he's a guy that's involved in trade talks, but again, for me, there's still a little bit of curiosity about, you know, what would happen if you gave him a little bit more of a leash, because right now his leash is very short. All right, so... Let's keep going. We'll maybe take a couple more of these here. David Schneckender, or I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, David, but uh, David wants to know obviously the Rangers are looking to make a trade. No matter what the trade is, who is one player who is bound to go the other way? To me, there's three pools or three assets that I think are very much in play and are probably being shopped around most frequently by the Rangers right now. The first thing is draft picks, specifically their first-round pick, but they also have two second-round picks. Next is the defenseman prospects. Nils Lundqvist, I believe, is at the top of the list right now, but Zach Jones, Matthew Robertson, Hunter Skinner, those guys could all be in play. Braden Schneider, I think, is the one guy who I would not think the Rangers are looking to trade at this moment. And then the third is Vitali Kratsov, who we know eventually is almost surely going to be traded. Now, there's, there's prospects that I think are a notch below some of those guys that, that could be involved too. Maybe a guy like Morgan Barron. But I think those are really the three things, the three categories or three assets that I would look to first and foremost as far as what would I expect the Rangers to consider trading at the deadline. Rishi Kana, who actually I just ran into in the hotel in Minnesota, so it was good to see Rishi there, he wants to know, do we think Zach Jones will have another opportunity to supplant Nemeth as the third left-handed defenseman this season? I think I could foresee another opportunity for him, but I also think that right now, Gallant, especially now that we know that Nemeth has hopefully recovered fully from the COVID effects that he was feeling. And, and as far as he's told us, he seems to be feeling healthy now. I think Galant is going to give him a little bit of a runway here. So maybe at some point, I wouldn't shock me if down the line, we see Zach Jones back on the NHL roster. I think that is a distinct possibility. But right now, especially as far as the rest of this road trip goes, it, it's Nemeth's job for sure. And, and that seems to be the way that Galant wants to play it right now. A few people are asking me about Sammy Blay including Rose Schwartz, 26 here, wants to know if he'll be back for the playoffs or is he just with the team to go back to St. Louis. My understanding is that he wanted to come on this trip. I actually ran into him in the press box in Minnesota and got to catch up with him for a little bit. He's moving great, walking fine, says he's feeling great, recovered from that ACL surgery, doing his rehab and all that. It's a long recovery for that. Like he's back on his feet and that's a great sign. And I think some of you saw, I tweeted out a picture of him horsing around at the bench a little bit, sticking his stick over over the boards to kind of, you know, throw some pucks around and that sort of thing. But this, by all accounts, is going to be a, a long rehab with him, hopefully, and it definitely looks like he's on track for this, being ready to come into training camp next year at full strength and, and hit the ground running. I, I do not think under any circumstances the Rangers are going to rush him back And try to let him play on that injury. ACLs typically are an injury that guys are out for almost a year for. So he sustained the injury, I think it was November. So if he's back for training camp in September, 10 months later, you know, I think that's something you feel pretty good about. But I think anything sooner than that would be rushed. And my understanding is out for the season means out for the season. So. He's on this trip. I think he wants to be around the team. He said to me yesterday, it's, it's great being around the team. It's a lot of fun for him. I think the whole rehab process is pretty lonely. So he seems to be enjoying himself. He was actually banging on the glass and making faces when we were talking to Dryden Hunt today. So he definitely seems like he's having fun on this trip and it was good to catch up with him a little bit. But no, I, I do not expect him to be an option for the Rangers at any point this season or in the playoffs. The goal, I think, is training camp for sure. All right, let's see if we got one or two more in here. Uh, this is actually one that I want to talk about a little bit because I just got off the phone with somebody from San Jose. This one comes from Quick NHL Rumors who wrote If Hurdle doesn't re sign with the Sharks, are the Rangers the favorite for him? Good question. I don't know if I would say favorite, but I definitely, as you guys know, we've talked about this name probably more than any other trade option. Think that he would be one of, if not the most ideal fits for the Rangers. It's a little bit of a tricky situation because you would be acquiring him knowing that the chances of retaining him next year are relatively slim. You'd really have to move some salary around and definitely say goodbye to Ryan Strom if you were going to be able to re-sign him because Strom, we've talked about the Rangers hoping they could land in that 5 to $6 million per year range. Well, from what I'm hearing about Hurdle... He's looking for more like seven to eight million per season, and I think that might price the Rangers out. But also, I've heard this, and I was actually just on the phone helping our friend Shang Pang, who you guys have heard on the show before, covers the Sharks out in San Jose. He asked me to help him out for a story. I forget what they call it. It's something like uh, "Would you say yes" or something like that. He's basically calling reporters to cover different teams that they think might have interest in Hurdle and sort of playing around with some trade proposals. And the trade proposal that he threw at me today was Nils Lundqvist, Alexander Georgiev, and a first-round pick. Would you do that for Hurdle? Now, that's a lot. That's definitely a lot for a rental, no doubt about it. But when you think about Lundqvist, who right now his path onto the NHL roster looks like it's definitely blocked by Schneider— and it also looks like Jones is ahead of him in the pecking order. And Jones being left-handed looks like more of a, a compliment to Schneider, who's right-handed. Lunquist also right-handed. And, and you guys know, as I've told you, everything that I've been hearing recently is that Lundqvist is very much on the table and someone that the Rangers are exploring trades for. Lundqvist is a guy who I think sooner or later seems more likely to be traded than not. Georgiev, as we talked about in the beginning of the show, There's very little value for him right now, so I think him as a throw, and you would absolutely consider that. And then the first-round pick, it's going to be in play. It's probably going to be in the 20s, so it's not a super, super valuable pick. It's a lot, but I think I would consider it. I said to Shang, I think the Rangers would feel better about that trade if it was Kratsov instead of Lundqvist, because I think Kratsov, given all the drama and all the other stuff that's going on, is, as far as organizational rankings... He's a guy that they look at as a little bit more expendable. But I think both him and Lundqvist are guys that are out there right now. We just talked about who the prime assets that I think could be traded are, and they're both in those categories. So would you do that deal? I don't know. But Shang seemed to think that that would be an appealing deal for the Sharks. So something to consider, something to think about. And, And his gut instinct, based on what he's seeing and hearing around the team right now, and this is something that I've heard from others as well, is that The Sharks' preference is to re-sign Hurdle, but nobody seems convinced that Hurdle wants to stay there. And if the Sharks come to the conclusion that they're not going to be able to re-sign him, they're going to trade him. They're not going to risk losing him for nothing. So, Shang's feeling was leaning more toward him being dealt. And when we talked about those teams that are hanging around in the playoff race right now, the Sharks are not one of them. The Sharks have fallen out of the race it looks to me like the wise thing for them to do might be sell. So that puts Hurdle in play, not just for the Rangers, but for a lot of other teams. And, and, you know, when you have a lot of teams looking for a guy like that and when he looks like he could potentially be the most coveted rental on the trade block right now, that's going to drive up the price. So you're probably going to have to surrender that first round pick plus somebody else. Is it Lundqvist? Is it kratzoff Would that get it done? I don't know. But, you know, Shang also said the Sharks have a clear need for a goalie, so he thought Georgiev would be an appealing throw-in to put into that deal. So interesting situation to monitor in San Jose for sure. But they're one of the teams, I think, that is trending more toward the selling direction, whereas some of the teams we mentioned earlier in the show, like the Ducks and the Stars, they look like they're a little more on the fence and very much in the playoff race right now. So I think that might be a good place to end it. We hit on a lot of different stuff here. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope we hit on your questions. I, I tried to breeze through as many of them as I could, and we'll see what happens. We're probably still going to be talking about this trade deadline stuff next week because we're still two episodes away now from the actual trade deadline, which is on March 21st. So interesting to see. I will keep you guys posted on the happenings from this road trip. San Jose. I'm Sorry. What, what am I saying? San Jose. My mind is all scrambled now with all these cities we're talking about. St. Louis tonight. Barbecue food followed by the game on Thursday, followed by the trip to Dallas, where I'll probably eat more barbecue or Tex Mex or whatever. If you guys have restaurant suggestions, as always, shoot them my way because I'm always looking for some stuff. But I'll keep you guys posted. Got a lot of good content coming for the rest of the week. Got another trade deadline column coming. I'm trying to give you guys something different each week as far as what I'm hearing about the trade deadline or my own thoughts or the things that I think the Rangers are wrestling with internally. So I've got another one of those coming for you in the next few days, plus coverage of all the practices and games and and all that good stuff. For now, I'm going to go. feels like I've been talking for a long time. (laughs) Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thanks, as always, for listening, and I will talk to you soon.